This is Thoughts on the Table by DisgracesOnTheMenu.com. Hello and welcome back to Thoughts on the Table, the audio blog on food and food culture. Paolo here again, your host, back with a returning guest today. Today with me is Tina Prestia from Tina's Table. Hi, Tina. Welcome back. Hi there. Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure, Tina. Uh, Tina uh, was with us uh, about a year, year something ago. And, um, well, really, we've been in touch for a very long time. Um, fantastic food blogger, Italian origins on her dead side, moved to Bologna. And uh, she's constantly inspired, of course, by the beautiful food there. So let's jump right in, because there is a post on your blog that caught my attention. And uh, it's the post on ragù, the famous sauce of Bologna. Yes, famous and misunderstood. <laughs> yes, very misunderstood. Yeah. Such a, a thing in Bologna, so entrenched in the culture, but yet so hard to define. Um, what can you say about it, just off the top of your head? Well, it's, it's everywhere here. I mean, it's such a famous word, right? But it means a different thing here in Bologna versus what it means everywhere else. So I, I wanted to write a post about it to kind of clarify, because I think, you know, now that we live in a more global world, maybe we need to codify our language a bit better because, you know, uh, you know on Instagram and other places, you'll see, you know, mushroom bolognese and lentil oh, yeah. bolognese and all this <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, well, Bologna is a place and bolognese means in the bolognese style. So it, you know, that word's being thrown around and they should just call it chunky sauce or sauce or call it ragu, but calling it bolognese is what they're doing. So I just kind of wanted to talk about the differences and kind of mm -hmm. clarify for people who actually care how it's done here, you know, because sometimes people have gone to a certain place, whether it's, you know, Thailand for pad thai or, or, you know, Mexico for a pastor taco, you know, they know what the actual thing is. And then they look up a recipe or they order it on a menu or something and what they get is something totally different and that <laughs> yeah. that that drives me crazy because it's <laughs> yeah. you know the the name has meaning to me these, mm -hmm. these names of, of the traditional dishes i'm not talking about innovation but you know if you're talking about new england clam chowder or a fish taco from california that those mean specific things usually so Yes, definitely. It seems like some words happen to be uh, iconic and uh, they right. acquire a life of their own. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's what happened to it. You know, you can't really control how things take shape in an immigrant situation. You yeah. know, like I, I was watching, um, I think it's called, is it called Food on the Go? I can't remember. There was a documentary about the the Italian diaspora or something and mm -hmm. how Italian food is in, in the new world in Argentina and in America versus in Italy and how pizza is in Argentina versus how it is in Naples and, and Banya Caldo is another thing and how, you know, things do get adapted based on the ingredients that the immigrants could get and things like that. So they mm -hmm. just kind of take a life of their own. Yeah, definitely. So that's the case for Bolognese, Bologna, which became Bologna uh, in uh, right. Italian-American, yes, which also means um, some kind of a mess. Uh, it's Bologna, you say. Uh, yeah. Something. Yeah, and I looked yeah. it up because it didn't completely make sense to me because Bologna is also a kind of a salami, right? Bologna is like a cheap, poorly made mortadella. <laughs> yes, um, but in Milan, we called a very good properly made mortadella Bologna. <laughs> so, um, you really? know... Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's the same thing because it's probably the mortadella in the style of Bologna, the way it's prepared in Bologna. 
And it's not oh. a cheap product. Yes, it's probably less expensive than prosciutto crudo di Parma, but right. uh, but doesn't say much because that's probably the most expensive thing uh, in there. But uh, but definitely it doesn't have a negative connotation. So yeah, I mean, I grew up in in New York and in Chicago and places where there were Italian immigrants. They they know how good mortadella is, so you know mm-hmm. they know it's wonderful and that you should get the Italian if you can, and you know, but it's it's not available everywhere. In the States, I mean. Yeah, definitely. I may tell you something more about Milan. Milan calls it Bologna because they have their own mortadella, which they call mortadella. <laughs> and, um, Interesting. Yeah, so if you ever go to Milan. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. I've had mortadella di Prato, which is in Tuscany. So they have their own version of, yeah. of mortadella too. And it's delicious. It's totally different. It's more, more rustic. In Milan too, it's different. Is it? Oh, that's so cool. Something to try. Anyway, let's stay on the topic. Uh, okay, <laughs> it's easy to digress. So, yes. Um, so this sauce, uh, ragu um, or bolognese, we can call it interchangeably, is something very defining of Emilia-Romagna and uh, definitely uh, Bologna. Uh, so the problem with that is that um, there isn't quite a recipe. That's actually not true based on... Your article and something that I remember yeah, there, reading. There, there, there is, is an one. official one. There's mm. an official one published, but I don't know. You know, it's not like people who've been making it for centuries in the same way. You know, dropped what they're doing and started following that. You know, but I guess I guess it's a it's a good guideline. I guess for for people to understand the the outline of what it should be, basically. But um, in the city of Bologna, it's pretty consistent. Right. Again, so let's dissect it for a second. So okay. let's look at the things that ragu must have um i think a lot of italians would agree if you don't have that you can't quite call it ragu um there is a base and again i'm quoting your article there is a base which is a soffritto of onions carrots and celery which is the base to a lot of things right yes and it's a yellow onion like for example in tuscany in many of the ragus i've done from Tuscany, they use a lot more red onion mm. in their sofrito. So that that's one thing. Like it's usually a yellow, okay. yellow onion and and carrot and celery and finely minced, preferably by hand. And that's that's the only non-negotiable I've seen because all the other ingredients, you know, can vary. But I, I what I did in the article is I tried to do like a, an outline of what's what the general parameters are that you can play in. But, you know, there are certain things I've seen out there that are like, what are you doing? You know, I, I think I, I don't, but we'll go over the non-negotiables. In the, yeah, let's talk the, about that later. Yeah. Then there is definitely a fat. So, so frito means fried or stir fried or I don't know the proper translation of that. But you do it on a hot skillet with some kind of fat. Um, so you can use lard, you can use butter, extra virgin olive oil or some combination of those. Yeah. When I went to the, the Vecchia Scuola Bolognese, which is Alessandra Spizny's, you know, school teaching mm-hmm. pasta and Bolognese cuisine, like she still uses strutto, which is lard. But mm-hmm. most, you know, most of my friends that are modern women, you know, they're using olive oil. They're not using lard. And, uh, and then you can have some optional additions to the soffritto, pancetta or prosciutto yes. as a kind of way to fortify it, add more fat and more flavor, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and some people don't 
don't do that and keep it very pure and simple with mm -hmm. maybe one kind of meat. Like I, the, the first recipe I ever did was just beef and there was no prosciutto or pancetta mm -hmm. and it was just, you know, very simple and pristine. And that's, that's what's cool. There's so many different ways you can layer the flavors. Right. Definitely. Coming to the meat, um, it can be beef, pork, veal. What is traditional in Bologna? Is there a choice? Um, I've seen all of them. I've seen beef. I don't know if I've ever seen just a pork one. I think usually there's always beef, but, you know, again, there's always going to be something that varies. So, you know, you know, it's like to codify these things. Everyone does their own thing, you know, so uh, beef and pork, but I have done recipes where it's only beef. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've often seen mixes. Some people use veal. I don't remember what I was reading, but some people were like, no veal, no veal whatsoever. But then I've seen people who use veal. So those are the main meats. What what I've never seen is lamb. And there's a, mm -hmm. uh, there's a prominent website where clearly they know what they're doing. This is a U.S. website mm -hmm. where this person put gelatin, Vietnamese fish sauce, mm. lamb, and like demi like he just put all these things and cooked it for hours. I mean, it was like one of those umami bomb hit them over the head with an anvil kind of things, which defeats the purpose of this the sauce, which is delicate and subtle and, oh. and elegant, you know, and 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 subtle and yeah. and about good ingredients and getting out of their way, which illustrated that he didn't understand Italian cuisine at all because he wanted it to be packed with flavor and everything but that's that's not the sensibility of this mm -hmm. this dish so and also lamb like I I love lamb but this it's just it you can get it at the butcher but it's not prominent here so mm -hmm. putting lamb alone disqualified that version for me because I was like no like I live here I can't get this stuff half of the time right you know my concern is just for restaurateurs and bloggers and writers and people who are putting themselves in a position of authority, I just wish they would do their yes, research, research a bit more. You know, <laughs> like if you're in your house, do whatever you want. And yeah. You don't have to care how about people in Bologna do whatever. You know, that, that that's not what it's about. But it's just kind of also communicating in English mm -hmm. with the same kind of obsessive nature that an Italian might write about their dishes, it, right. you know, because it Italians have a tendency to talk much more about things and go into much more detail. And when you see Italian cookbooks in English, there's usually just a little blip and then <laughs> they get onto things and then they change things without saying that they've changed things because their editor doesn't want them to write that much or something, you know, like they get yep. cut off and they want to get published and they don't really say everything that probably they would like to say. So I kind of, you know, I'm doing my own thing, so I'm allowed to talk as much as I want to. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You're self-published. Yeah, I'm trying to communicate the way Italians communicate about the cuisine, but in English, because I think you know somebody might be interested. <laughs> I hope, you know, in how at least based on my experience, I see it done. Yeah, it's complicated and. It's our life, really, uh, as Italians. It's something that we cannot just reduce to a series of steps and a list of ingredients. You know, it, even just the quantities, as uh, Frank Ferriello was saying, um, to break everything down in exact quantities for a recipe, it just teaches the wrong thing. It's not how we go about food, really. In right. Um, yeah. So you should try to explain that, well, at this point, you should taste it. At this point, you know, it can be between, you know, a handful <laughs> and a generous one <laughs> or right. something. And you'll have to go taste it and use your own palate as well to, to gauge how much of it you want. So, yeah, I, it's, 
there are so many dishes that when I learned how to make them like pasta fagioli, I would use a recipe, but now I just get the dish. So sometimes I'll have more tomato than yeah. others. Sometimes I'm use one, but, but you think you have that oh, kind of why I did write that is not to come up with my own recipe. Cause I've, I've done so many recipes that are written already mm -hmm. that are great. So I didn't have anything to add. Right. I didn't, you know, feel like right on my own because there are so many good recipes. I just kind of wanted people to understand the basics of what it was, you know, cause it's, it's delicious and it's not a tomato sauce with meat in it. It's a meat sauce with some tomato. <laughs> we didn't get to, we didn't get to the tomato part. Yeah, it's but, almost you know, there. Yeah. But, uh, and the, the whole milk thing, some people put milk, some people don't, but, uh, if you want to follow the sequence of what I did, I'll shut up and <laughs> <laughs> you can talk, you can talk about the next part. But, um, yeah, those that. are the only meats I haven't, um, sausages are something that I've come across in like Ferrara, for example. Mm -hmm. So ragu is eaten all over this region and outside of Bologna, there are definitely variances. So I was talking about kind of variances is not a word. I'm tired. Um, they're <laughs> definitely <laughs> variants, but, um, it's, uh, sausage I haven't had in Bologna, but I've had it in the Tuscan border areas and in, in Ferrara, as I said, in Romagna. Mm -hmm. and, but I, but uh, in Bologna, I haven't tasted and come across sausage. So right, so probably not, that. not very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, to go in order, let's talk about the liquids. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, wine, wine, uh, most definitely, it's used yes. at some point uh, in my experience. After you do the sofrito, um, once you get that nice and translucent, you add the meat and you roast the whole thing. And then at this point, you need to add some liquid to allow it to cook. And the yes. first liquid that ever hits the pan when it's still very hot is wine. Yes. Correct. Good. It's the same for risotto, really. It's how yes. risotto is made. Yeah. Too. <laughs> oh, it adds beautiful perfume to risotto. Exactly. You want that. Um, I researched this. Um, the alcohol uh, as, a, as a solvent as well. So it helps extract some flavors and bring them into the fat. Um, it's not just the flavor of the liquid itself. So it's very much an essential part of the preparation. You're missing something if you don't do. Yeah, and it's wonderful. And, and and one thing that, you know, a lot of recipes in my cookbook say, you know, cook it for two minutes, but they don't really describe what you're looking for. Right. You know, and a lot of recipe writing is like that. Do this for two minutes, do that for three minutes, do that for four, but they don't explain <laughs> why you're waiting that long. Or, you know, like a good recipe to me explains... Yeah what you're supposed to smell, what it's supposed to look like, what texture right. it's supposed to achieve, you know. So that's one thing I noticed when I went to culinary schools. Like, that's how they were describing things. Like, do it until it smells like that. Do it until <laughs> it looks like this and do it. Because you're using your senses as a participant. You know, you're participating when you're cooking. Yeah, you're, you, you know. So here I learned that when, when they cooked the wine off and the ragu is, uh, they waited until it smelled sweet. You mm -hmm. really could smell no alcohol whatsoever right. left, and it and it took on a sweet smell. And now I always do that anytime I'm adding wine to anything because it it does make it lovely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very good point. I read a lot of recipes where I don't know how they do this. Uh, do they have a timer next to the stove and go <laughs> one minute? Yeah, for a set. I mean sometimes I do use a timer. You know, it needs to be that specific, like you're soft boiling an egg or something. But well, yes, but it's um it's better to to know what you're looking for, because then you don't have to care as much about the clock. Then 
the controversial milk. Um, milk is yeah. in the official recipe, isn't it? I or think cream. they put cream or something. I've that's never strange. used cream, and I never see cream that much. So I'm surprised that that's what they came up with for the official. But I'm God knows how many conversations they had to choose the yeah. official recipe. How many arguments happened? But um, yeah, I've I've done only I think one recipe that didn't have the milk, mm-hmm. and frankly, all they're good. I mean, if you're a good cook. You can make 20 versions of the dish well. You know, if it's mm-hmm. seasoned well and cooked with love, it's going to be delicious. I think if you eat eat enough of a dish, then you just develop your preferences and you make it right. the way you like it best, mm-hmm. you know. Because if you start getting the dish, then you can make it the way you want it. Right. But I think, you know, recipes are important so someone can get it. If they've never had it before, they need some kind of help to figure out what, what the dish is about. But mm-hmm. milk is mm-hmm. great. I mean, the two recipes that I talk about you know, towards the end of the article, like one recipe puts it at the beginning of the mm-hmm. cooking time and one puts it towards the end. And they really led to very different results. It was interesting because I tested them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. That's a nice comparison. Side by side. And I did it in terracotta, both of them. So it was, mm. it was really cool to kind of taste. One was white wine. One was red wine. One had the milk at the beginning. One mm-hmm, had the milk mm-hmm. at the end. And they were both like, just extraordinarily delicious, but they were different. One was definitely more rustic that you'd almost roll the tagliatelle out to a thicker, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a thicker tagliatelle so it's more rustic and hearty because that's what that sauce tasted like. And then the other one, you wanted to just roll the most thin, gorgeous tagliatelle ever, and it was a luscious, silky Interesting. It was, it was really cool because they both tasted like a ragu bolognese, but they were they were really different from each other. Texture, so, different texture, the different texture and different, just a different vibe almost. Because mm. the the one that had the milk at the beginning made the meat more tender. Mm-hmm, it was succulent and tender, and it had one chicken liver in there, so that added another layer mm-hmm. of flavor. It was it was wonderful. But let's go back to the recipe. So the tomato is some kind of puree, passata. Um, or concentrato or concentrate, yeah. You can also do it with a, like a tomato paste, so less yeah. Uh, liquid. Yeah. Some people hardly add anything. That might be, you know, just a little bit of tomato paste. And then some people add whole big jars of, you know, the, the canned peeled tomatoes. So it's, it is, there's a pretty big range. Mm-hmm, Some mm-hmm. people really frown on it and mainly use beef or mixed meat broth mm-hmm. with a hint of tomato. And some people are using a ton. So there, there is a definitely a range of, uh, right. Of the quantity, but I think, <laughs> I think the older ones must have had very little because it or none, right. Mm-hmm. Because it's a new world ingredient. So, right. I think traditionally it was a sort of a, a white, type of sauce um, a very pale yeah, with sauce the, with the beef broth and yeah mm-hmm. that would be no acidity yeah and less acidity that, that too yeah <laughs> and then to finish the broth which is used uh to allow it to cook when it starts drying out and um what about any herbs i mean it's not an herb heavy cuisine here because i use a ton of herbs in my cooking usually but in bologna like i've eaten We've eaten probably at more restaurants in this city than most Bolognese people because we we thought we were here temporarily when we got here. So we were just going out like crazy to just taste everything. So it's uh, it's not a heavy herb you herb mm-hmm. cuisine. Like you go to Liguria and you'll see bouquets of herbs at the vegetable markets because they use so many herbs. 
mm-hmm. and then in other parts of the South, you know, I'm not saying they don't have them, but like in Tuscany, you'll see so many more herbs and it's just, it's just not a thing here. I mean, you, you can get them, but half the time I can't even find fresh oregano, marjoram, thyme, dill. Like I have to go to my special markets to get mm-hmm. them. They're not at every supermarket. Some are, you can always get rosemary, basil, sage, and, and, uh, parsley like they're right. everywhere mm-hmm. but otherwise it's it's not that you know so i haven't seen them i think i put in the article i read over 50 well over 50 recipes for it i saw herbs <laughs> herbs used once mm-hmm. and then my friend's father uses a bay leaf so two two it's not a high average you know yeah so <laughs> yeah definitely tuscan Tuscans use herbs in their ragouts all the time. You'll you'll get you know rosemary and sage mm-hmm, and parsley mm-hmm. and basil all in one sauce. Sometimes you know mm, in in their sauces, and they're right. delicious. So oh, yeah, for sure. as I said, I just kind of wanted to provide the, the parameters because when you read online the ragu articles, the bolognese sauce, you know, articles, and they're like, oh, I thought this would be good, so I added this, and then I thought that'd be good, and I'd add that, and then you know it just gets to a point you're not making. <laughs> A bolognese sauce anymore. No, exactly. So. If you start adding everything, you know, it, there's no way out of that. You, you can't back out of it anymore. Um, yeah. You need to show some restraint sometimes, I, I find. Um, yeah. And it's not that it isn't going to be delicious. It's just not a ragu bolognese anymore. Is right. The, the point. <laughs> so. Definitely. Um, as for less use ingredients, uh, there is a some spices uh, that you find. Uh, nutmeg. And uh, in my experience, cloves as well um, mm-hmm. can be added there. And then you, you've mentioned before, you can use mortadella or bologna um, as a way to kind of enrich it. Um, chicken liver, you mentioned, chicken giblets. Delicious. Like a light hand. Oh, that was the other thing that person did. Besides the fish sauce, they used like massive quantity of the chicken liver. It was just too much. Mm-hmm. I can't even yeah. imagine yes. how heavy the sauce was because it, it's... Right. It was a, as I said, an anvil on the head versus <laughs> in moderation. And delicate. Yeah, in there's moderation. nothing in moderation about that. I guess that was the point to right. just have this big kicked up. Uh, and then they served it on pappardelle, which is a good segue into you know it's traditionally served on tagliatelle, not pappardelle. Okay, well maybe we want to just jump on the we pasta because <laughs> let's but, let's do that. I mean, in Bologna, I mean pappardelle is eaten in Bologna, but it's definitely more prevalent in Tuscany. Oh, I see. I For see. their ragu. Yes. Uh, okay, so this ties in nicely with the point about spaghetti alla bolognese, right? Certainly spaghetti is uh, a pasta shape from the center and the south. Um, it's got nothing to do with the city of Bologna. And also, really, what's important there, the spaghetti is not an egg-based pasta, and uh, ragu bolognese really marries well with uh with an egg-based um pasta whether it's in lasagna sheets mm-hmm. or in a tagliatelle which is the yeah. traditional cut uh in bologna pappardelle is similar in my experience i would argue that it's slightly bigger um yeah it's wider yeah wider the, right i worship pappardelle and, and they they do serve it here but it's usually not not with the ragu because it's always on every menu. It's tagliatelle a ragu, tagliatelle a ragu. Some people nowadays serve it on tortellini too, but some purists are outraged by that because they think tortellini should only be in broth. But that's a different thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, I've seen them with ragu even in Bologna. To be honest, uh, uh, I've seen tortellini with ragu. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. and it's also great on polenta, and right. and I know somebody who serves it on um, uh, stricchetti, which are which is the um, farfalle pasta, but in Bologna they call it stricchetti, and mm. it, they're homemade, not not industrial. So I it's see, also I see. egg pasta, mm-hmm. right? But some people do serve it on penne too. I mean, there are tons of ragus in Tuscany that they serve on penne also. You know, so it's not like you can't serve it on dried pasta. Right. You... Yeah, you could. And then what about gnocchi? Is this something you see with ragu? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I have. I haven't had it, but what what would be wrong with that? No, exactly. I've seen that offered. Yeah, yeah, gnocchi with pesto even, which is totally yes. not done in, uh, in Genova, but uh, I'm sure it's not. But, uh, but you can find it. Um, yes. No, I've seen I've seen ragu with gnocchi also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delicious stuff. So you have a, a pasta project. You have been making videos in which you teach how to make all the major pasta shapes, which is very daunting. Uh, it's a big project. Lots to do there. Uh, yeah, I'm way behind. <laughs> I'll <laughs> say that I I uh, I've started it on Instagram. I would love to ideally do it on YouTube and have mm-hmm. a magical camera person do the videos for me. But I haven't found my genie yet, so um, <laughs> I'm having to do it all by myself. You know, like right. the posture part I know how to do, but the whole video uh, making and editing and all that has been uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, I just basically want to teach people how to physically do the steps because um there's so many pasta is obviously incredibly popular and always has been but there's like this boom of pasta books on the market but it's a visual thing for me like i can't read how to make orecchietta i need to see someone move their hands so mm-hmm. i basically just wanted to help people with the visuals and how to form the shapes with their, right. with their hands so yeah yeah it's only the technique and so of course yeah. for for uh, tagliatelle um the challenge there of course is to make a, a quite thin uh not as thin as you would make it for tortellini i would say but definitely thin sheet of pasta um which is an egg-based um you know farina zero zero yes zero zero flour and uh egg egg and that's it. That's it, really. Salt. Um, no salt and no oil in Bologna, anyway, in Emilia Romagna. Oh, I've not even a hint. Salt and oil added in um, other places. In Tuscany, I've seen that in other places. But in Bologna, it's just eggs and flour. Interesting. We do add a bit of salt when we make it in Milan. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, I mean, there are always variants. But um, I was actually taught that it's like really thin in Bologna. We were taught to do it as one of the thinnest shapes. Oh, really? Even yeah. thinner, thinner than tortellini. But that's, oh, wow. that's um, also a preference because I've had pretty thick tagliatelle. Um, I've seen um, really, really thin ones and then you'll see more rustic. So I think mm-hmm. that's also a preference. But I was taught probably because it was a pasta school and they're trying to show off their skill, you know, to go just insanely thin with tagliatelle. Yeah, I may, I maybe it's a preference. You know, I, I do appreciate a little bite in there. Um, right. They're also a little bit easier to, to handle. They don't stick to each other as much. Um, obviously, it's it's easier to to handle a slightly thicker pasta. Tortellini, to me, is like the apotheosis of uh, <laughs> handling. It's one of the most delicate operations to make a tortellino. It's something that I'm, I'm not good at. And yeah, it's... It takes a lot of patience. 
the filling is actually pretty easy. Mm -hmm. And for me, rolling out the dough is easy, but getting that filling in each of those tiny (laughs) little squares is what is the worst part for me. The folding is fun, but it's putting that Mm. that filling that's melting in your hands as you're working with it quickly into the yeah. into the squares before your dough dries out and then you have to close them all after before your dough dries out yeah it's pretty it's, challenging it's like not hard to actually do it it's the timing like the speed and the you know yeah and i'm not that fast with them because i don't make them enough of course but they're you know, delicious and oh i'll be boy. making them for christmas but yeah um, it's a project Definitely. So on your article, you have a photo of uh, a fantastically thin uh, sheet of pasta on a table where you can see the, the wood uh, veining underneath the pasta for how thin it is. And, uh, you know, this has been uh, hand uh, drawn, let's say, using a very long rolling pin and is yes. about to be sliced um, by hand, obviously. Yes. And that alone requires uh, its own technique. Do you roll it up uh, before you slice it? Is that yes, and, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned it because you mentioned sticking. Um, you ideally uh, let it air dry for a little bit before you cut it. Mm-hmm. So it's not really wet. And also you're not making a sticky dough to begin with. Otherwise yes. it is going to be difficult to deal with. So if you've made a sticky dough, it's going to be harder to roll it out, whether you're doing it by hand or machine. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, part of the skill is to know how moist your dough, you know, regulating well how moist your dough is. Um, Yeah, but if you let it air dry 10 minutes or flip it over once or twice, then it won't be Mm -hmm. as sticky when you're cutting the noodle. It still has to be pliable. But um, and a lot of people can just you can do it right away if you add flour. But I, I try not to waste much flour. So I just let it air dry a little bit. Yeah, you roll it up and then you cut it. And there you can either kind of fold it not in half but fold it a third of the way and then roll it up and then cut it or some people roll each side of the round towards Mm -hmm. the center and then cut it and then you put the knife underneath and it unfurls on either side of the knife which is a more dramatic fun way (laughs) to do it and then you open it all up to air dry a little uh some more uh before you or you you can cook it right away so oh you can cook it right away yes exactly yeah um fantastic so yeah i find that egg-based pasta can be very challenging but is uh one step easier than durum pasta uh, which uh it's um it's not gonna um stay together it's not as elastic and it's harder to to work um so i i don't know if you if you agree with my statement or not but um my advice is to start from an egg-based pasta uh, first is that right Probably. Um, I think, um, you know, kneading is really, the kneading technique is kind of glossed over a lot. If you knead it well, you're going to get a good structure and you can't even roll the water doughs with a rolling pin because I have. So Mm -hmm. it it just takes um, getting the right gluten structure in there, which does take more elbow grease with the durum wheat and water doughs. You definitely have to work it in a different way than the egg dough. I think definitely the egg dough is easy. And then the there are plenty of just double zero flour and water doughs that are very easy to work with, like a peachy mm-hmm. dough. Mm-hmm. Peachy is wonderful and, and a simple dough to make. I mean, not shape. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know if you want to quickly mention the typical lasagna here in Bologna, which yeah, is also a completely that. different animal. Yeah. Lasagna. Yes, you mentioned you have a beautiful picture yeah. of a lasagna verde with spinach. 
um, which yeah. is just gorgeous to see. Oh, uh, boy. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> Makes you hungry, though. It's like, it oh, does, yes. I saw it earlier today. I'm like, oh, I'll be making that soon. <laughs> yes. It's so, so good. What are the, the bases besides uh, ragu, of course, and the lasagna sheet? It's pretty simple. It's just a homemade spinach dough um, and the ragu and a fresh bechamel sauce and yes. parmigiana reggiana cheese. That's, That's all it, it is. It's very succulent and delicate and, and beautiful. And I, I used to love to make it for my clients when I was a personal chef and I did dinner parties and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just, I love looking at their faces because it's so different from what most people think lasagna is. Yeah. is which is usually very clumsily made and it's clunky and chunky and big and lots of pasta over, lots of layers overdone and it's you know because yeah. good good southern italian lasagna is heaven but it's usually not done very well so mm -hmm. it, i just that they would be stopped in their tracks because it, it's just such a beautiful dish yes definitely oh yeah it, it's just it's and, and then you know you get the browning on the top and the mm -hmm. crispy bits in the corner and The, yep. the crunchy little bits of the parmigiano reggiano on top. Oh, it's just it's wonderful. It's so good. <laughs> When um, in Vancouver, where I lived for 17 years, um, you find all the versions with ricotta, which I think maybe in the South has a place. It is. And it can be amazing. I love it. I mean, that's yeah. how my, my grandmother made it. And it's heavenly. Definitely. Um, but the one that I don't think has a place in Italy is the one with cottage cheese. I, I can't imagine ever cooking that cheese. Uh, what is your take on that? Uh, I'm agape right now, so um, I've never heard of that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I've never heard of cottage cheese. Cottage cheese, in, uh, maybe no. it's a Canadian thing, British thing uh, as oh. well, is um, in Italy is sold under the brand name Yocca. Is oh, a, I've never even seen it because I can't stand cottage cheese in America. Even I hate it. I've hated it my whole life, so I would never <laughs> put it in anything. I okay. can't stand cottage cheese, so no, I wouldn't put it in lasagna. No, I, yeah, yeah, it's it's fresh, um, it's fresh cheese. It's made of little lumps and a liquid. Um, no, I remember it, but maybe a good no. cottage cheese would be good. But the the industrial stuff that I grew up with was I just always hated it. But I'm sure, like. Fresh farmer's cheese, I would, I would love, but yeah, maybe, but not, still, to not. me, has no place in a cooked dish. It just doesn't belong to anything no. cooked. Uh, but maybe I'm biased. Dina, we're way out of time. This is probably the longest episode I've recorded. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you again and uh, seeing all that you've been doing. And I hope to do this more often and soon. Well, obviously, we have a lot to talk about. So thank you for having <laughs> me again. All right. Have a good afternoon. Good evening. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.